Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. You know, most of the time when we think of Jesus, it's his love and kindness that comes to mind. But the truth is that can occasionally Jesus could be rather blunt in his teaching and even kind of harsh at times. Like when he said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It does seem like a hard thing for Jesus to say, but there was a good reason for his saying it. And I might add a good reason for you and I to hear it today, which leads us to today's message. It's based on Luke chapter nine, the verses 51 through 62, and it's entitled Hand to the Plow. I think you'll agree with me that in life at least two things are certain. First, that there are always choices to be made. Some very important, others seemingly inconsequential, but most of them fairly essential. There are always choices to be made. And second, that inevitably there will be something seeking to distract you from those choices. There's a story uh, from the Hindu tradition, actually, that, that tells of a young yogi that is a, a student of the Indian philosophy who was instructed by his teacher that the pathway to true enlightenment, his pathway, was to spend his days sitting under a tree by the banks of a river in deep contemplation of God. And so this is exactly what the student had decided to do. And in fact, for this purpose, he had divested himself of all his worldly possessions, save for a begging bowl with which he could go into the village and daily beg for scraps of food, and a loincloth by which he covered up his nakedness. But this was fine, for this was all the student needed in his pursuit of enlightenment except that one night after the student had, had washed out his loincloth and hung it on a tree to dry, he awoke the next day to find that rats had come and torn and chewed up his loincloth beyond all repair. So now the student is naked and not only embarrassed to be seen that way, but also uh, knowledgeable that he was now forced to beg both for food and, by the way, a new loincloth. Eventually, the student did manage to find a charitable donor for that particular piece of clothing. But then, upon returning to the river's edge, he realized, you know what, there's always going to be rats here at the river. And since it was rather unseemly for a man of God to be continually begging for a loincloth, this young yogi decided to handle the situation in a different way. He decided that by getting a cat, that cat could be chasing the rats, thus solving the problem. Which was very wise indeed, right? Except that the cat now needed to be fed. And that required the young yogi to go out and get milk for the cat, which led him to look for a stray cow from which he could get the milk. And even that was fine. That is, until late into the summer, 
when the grass burned away because of the lack of rain and the cow needed some kind of fodder, any kind of fodder, just to stay alive. So what did the yogi do? Well, of course, come the next rainy season, he set out to plant a few crops. Just a few for the cow, because after all, the cat needed milk so they could keep chasing the rat so that there would be no need for him to go begging for another loincloth. Oh, and perhaps, he thought, I ought to plant some rice and a few vegetables for myself as well. Well, you can guess what happened. He spent so much of his time farming, he could barely find time at all for his spiritual pursuits. He did seek to remedy that situation by hiring some workers to tend the fields. But the workers, they needed supervision, which led him to uh, the rather patriarchal decision to take a wife who could oversee the operations of the farm. Earlier time, folks. Also, he himself could be free to get back to communing with God. But, you guessed it, his new wife was not content to live under a tree by the river. And so he set out then to build a house, a large house, especially now she was expecting their first child. Five years had passed. And the yogi had grown wealthy, and he'd also grown fat there at the banks of the river. And the story goes that one day his teacher reappeared, and he looked around and he asked with some dismay what had happened to his quest for enlightenment. Revered teacher, replied the yogi, his head bowed and his eyes to the ground, this was truly the only way I could keep my loincloth. I'll say it again. So often what life amounts to are the choices that we make. But there will always be something that seeks to distract us from those choices. Our text for this morning is all about choices and distractions. Specifically the the choice to follow Jesus and the distractions that threaten to keep us from doing so. You know, actually, I don't know about you, but I have to say that for me, this passage from Luke's gospel feels kind of harsh. There's nothing particularly positive in anything that Jesus has to say here. In fact, to borrow a word from another preacher, Jesus' words come off in this reading as well, a bit cranky. Jesus seemingly is going out of his way to say difficult things. Things people, good and decent people, will simply have a hard time accepting to say nothing of actually doing. Now, granted, Luke tells us that this is the point in the gospel in which Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is the point in which he embraces, at least in terms of the story, the inevitability of the cross that awaited him there. So there's a certain seriousness about this pivotal moment in Luke. But even given that, to to seemingly dismiss that faithful admirer alongside of the road who is promising to follow Jesus wherever he goes by saying, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Or, as the message renders it, are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. And then, 
to answer the would-be follower who first needed to bury his father, and then to another who wished to say farewell to his loved ones with a curt response of, well, let the dead bury their own dead. Well, there's something that most decidedly does not fit the profile of Jesus' friend, most kind and gentle. And for the moment, let's not even talk about Jesus' rebuke of James and John, who were ready to command heavenly fire to consume this village of Samaritans who had refused to receive Jesus along the journey. I mean, up till now, all we've heard about this business of following Jesus has to do with with the coming kingdom of God taking root in our midst. And about you and I being fishers of people. It's all been about the healing, about the miracles, the stories of seeds taking root in good soil. It's all been positive and good and exciting and wonderful. But what we find here is that there's more to it than that. Now we encounter Jesus in what can be best described as a teachable moment. One that not only shows forth the great seriousness of that call to follow, but also reveals the great urgency of it, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says to that wannabe disciple who first needs to go straighten things out at home before he leaves to follow Jesus. This is the reason Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Yeah, I agree, that kind of sounds cranky. But let's think about it for a moment. Once again, to make the point, Jesus brings forth an image that any of those listening would have truly understood. And as people who know at least a little bit about the rural culture, so do we. From an agricultural point of view, it just sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Any farmer worth his salt would never think to look back from the plow, for to do so would be to risk cutting a crooked or shallow farrow and thus ruining the work. Actually, more to the point, if I might quote an ancient Greek poem on the subject, which is dated to uh, around 700 B.C., the plowman is one who attends to his work and drives a straight furrow and no longer gapes after his comrades, but keeps his mind on his work. Hesiod, 700 B.C., from a work called Works and Days. So these people would have understood the image. And the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that in the task before you, there is no place for looking back or even trying to look at two directions at once. Quite literally, writes biblical commentator Mikhail Parsons, professor of religion at Baylor University, quite literally, you can't be two-faced. And so it is with being a disciple of Jesus. If you are to follow Jesus, you must be single-minded in purpose. You need to be setting your face on the task at hand just in the same manner that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. So what we need to understand, friends, about this passage is that Jesus' words are not as cranky as they might seem at first read. Indeed, his call, 
and I'll quote Caroline Lewis from Lutheran Seminary now, his call is not an insensitive plea to abandon that which is important to us, to abandon who matters to us, to, to turn away from those who make it different to us. This is not a call to abandon your family or let the dead bury their own. But what Jesus says is a reminder, a reminder to you and to me and to all who work to seek and follow Jesus, that there is an important, essential job before us, and that every single moment matters in what we have to do. When it involves the kingdom of God coming into our midst, every moment counts. And thus it includes and encompasses all the contexts and all the circumstances of our lives. It is truly the convergence of time, people, purpose, and place. Or, if I might put it far more simply, in and through all the routines and rhythms of our lives, yours and mine, you see, we've decided to follow Jesus. And we dare not let ourselves become distracted from the choice that we've made. The fact is, friends, that even when I think about this even a little bit, I can totally understand the reaction of those who respond to Jesus' calls by saying, oh yes, Lord, absolutely I'll follow. But first, let me go home and take care of a few things. I mean, we understand that. We do want to follow Jesus. That's kind of why we're here today. We've heard Jesus calling. We built that relationship we have with God in Christ. And we do have some sense of God's Spirit moving in our lives. This is why we've gathered ourselves together as a church. This is why we come here even on a hot and potentially muggy June morning. Because while we don't fully understand it, and while we don't always know where it's going to lead us, Christ has called us. And we do want to be disciples. But even given all that, I think you'll agree that there's so much in life that seeks to distract us from that. So much that would take our hand off the plow given the earliest opportunity. What I'm talking about here are real-life distractions. Things like job concerns. Things like matters of financial security. Things like the time and space that's required to take care of ourselves and to take care of the people that we love. There are also the kind of distractions that emanate from the relentless challenges of convoluted days in an overscheduled life. To say nothing of a pervasive culture that actively tries to pull us in every direction except where Jesus is walking. And then, of course, there are the distractions of sin and sorrow and anger and hurt and fear and regret to which we all often cling. The kind of distractions, the kind of life, or more accurately, the kind of death from which Jesus came to save us all from in the first place. Barbara Brown Taylor has written, 
Discipleship costs all that we have, all that we love, all that we are. And Jesus does not want us to be fooled about that. That doesn't mean that in following Jesus we aren't ever going to love or to laugh or to have a life that is rich and full and eventful and surprising. It just means that the call to follow our Lord where he goes, even unto Jerusalem, doesn't happen after all of that is done. It happens while all of that is going on. Jesus calls us to proclaim the kingdom of God while we're living. Jesus calls us to proclaim the kingdom while we're growing. He also calls us to make that proclamation while we're grieving. And while we're facing the inevitable changes that come our way in this life, it happens as much while we're in the midst of our farewells as it does in the new beginnings of our lives. Friends, what this passage tells us is that discipleship isn't something for another day. It isn't a five-year plan. It isn't what you schedule for retirement. Discipleship is for now. It's for here. It's for life, its own self. It's for planting. It's for harvest. And in between that, it's for plowing. As Jesus is very quick to remind us here, we do very well, you and me, not to be distracted from that task at hand. We need to ever and always keep our hand to the plow and never look back. Which begs the question, beloved, how's your field looking? How's the planting been going? Beloved, I hope and pray that as disciples of our Lord Jesus, we might truly, in the words of the song, plant our rows straight and long, seasoned with a prayer and a song. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Eventually, so that there will be a harvest fit for the kingdom. Dear friends, as our garden grows, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message we've entitled, Hand to the Plow. It was recorded during our June 30th service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, if you're looking for a church home or if you're just visiting the Granite State this summer and are looking for a place to worship, We'd love to have you at East Church. We gather every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We're located on 51 Mountain Road in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. As I'm fond of saying, we are a small but mighty congregation, and I guarantee you will feel welcome the minute you walk in the door. I would love to have the opportunity to greet you. Well, that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening, and I do appreciate all the kind words you've offered regarding this podcast. I hope you continue to keep in touch. Let me know what you're thinking about this podcast, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.